So, um, last week we've been talking about Christmas and, and whether or not it's good. There's a, a book that came out a few years ago. Um, I had the, the pleasure of kind of walking through it. It was written by an ex-pastor who uh, became an atheist. And when you introduced the book that way, people was like, well, Jim, why are you reading books like that? Uh, I, I don't know about you. I'm part, Maybe it's just my profession, but I'm always interested in why people step away from faith. And this guy's story is very honest, and it's very telling, and it's uh, kind of emotional and raw. But uh, throughout the book, he's talking about how he actually kind of stepped away from faith, and he stepped away while he was actually in faith and practicing faith and, and teaching other people. He actually completely deconverted from faith while he was still a pastor. And it's a really interesting kind of raw, authentic story. But in there, he talks about uh, one of the most challenging times. And as you can imagine, for somebody in that position, it's sharing the news with his family that he no longer believes the thing that he kind of sold his life out for and was working in, in the career path of letting other people know about it. Um, he told his wife, and his wife actually left him and divorced him because she wanted to, to be a pastor's wife. She actually remarried a pastor later. He ended up remarrying. But uh, as he continues the story, he, he starts uh, telling about, about the awkwardness that he has to have of telling his mother who raised him in church and how it didn't go exactly as he planned. He tells his mom that he's beginning to step away from faith and he's deconverting and he, he doesn't believe in God, that he's an atheist. And her reaction is actually completely surprising. She, she doesn't do what, what we, hearing the story, would think, kind of yell and get angry and I raised you better than this. She almost begins to express relief. And, and she actually says this to him. It was, this is her quote. It's like, I, I'm so glad because I don't have to hate anymore. And it's like, what is that? What, what kind of version of, of Christianity and faith are, are people growing up with or, or, or being taught or, or that's being pushed in, in churches that causes somebody to feel like, I'm so glad you're stepping out. I'm going to step out too because I don't have to hate anymore. It's like that's, that's a different kind of, of version of, of faith. It's, it's, not, it's not the version I think that we were taught or, or, or should have been taught or should have been raised with. It's, it's a little bit twisted. For the past few weeks, uh, we've been, been talking about this question that for a while, for centuries, most people were kind of asking the question about faith. It, it was really this, like, I hear everything you're saying, and I hear all, all the, the story about Jesus and Genesis and all of that, and the question I have is, is it true? That's what a lot of people were struggling with. But what we find today, and, and perhaps now more than ever, is that's not really the question. Truthfully, people would even look at that and say, I, I don't even care if it's true. The question I really have is, is this, Jib, is, is it good? Because if it's good, then why do I feel like I have to hate? Like, like what version of, of good is that? I, I don't know. I almost don't even care if it's true. If it's good, why do I feel like I have to hate? Because hating people isn't good. I, I don't want to do that. But that's, that's what we're seeing with faith. That's what we're seeing in, in, in Christianity is, is this, this push away from, I don't, almost don't even care if it's good or if it's true. I just want to know, is it good? So the question is, is it good? I mean, isn't it good? You see, when, when we hear good news, don't we hope it's true? But when we, we hear other news, when you hear bad news, and this is kind of instinctively in all of us, whether you were raised in church or not raised in church, this is more like, like a human thing, right? When, when we hear news, when we hear news that's, that's not good, what do we do? We all instinctively hope it's not true, right? I don't want it to be true. When you get a bad diagnosis, we all, we all kind of push away, well, they don't really know what they're talking about. I'm going to get a second opinion. 
right? We, we immediately hope it's not true, whatever it might be. When you hear news that's not good, maybe it's news from your spouse or from work or from your children, we all immediately hope it's not true, don't we? When we hear bad news, we immediately think it's not good news, therefore I don't want it to be true. But when we hear good news, don't we all kind of lean in? Don't we all kind of lean in and hope it's true? When you hear your child got an A on a test and you don't have the card to prove it, you want to believe it's true. But when you're dating somebody and they say, I love you for the first time, you want to believe it. It's like, no, I'm going to lean in. That, that sounds like good news to me. And I want to believe the good news. And isn't that how the message of Jesus was introduced to the world? I mean, it's really interesting. When you go back to, to the way that the news of Jesus was introduced to the world, that, that a Savior had been born, that God was doing something brand new, unique in the world, that God had entered human existence, how was it talked about? It, it was said that it would be good news. But not just good news. It would be good news of great joy. That people would, would want to believe it, even if they didn't think it was true. It's so good that I, I just want to believe that it's real because it's good news of great joy. And then here's really the, the most shocking part. That it wasn't just for like this small group of people. It wasn't just for a family. It wasn't for a small community. But it was good news of great joy for all people everywhere. That it would be good news not just for me and my family, but it would be good news for everyone's family. That had never been news like that before. Like Whenever good news came, it usually came good for me, but maybe at somebody else's expense. Not so with this news. This news was going to be good news of great joy for all people of every generation in every nation. I mean, think about this. We call, we call this whole story of Jesus the gospel, right? We talked about this last week. Andrew introduced this idea of the gospel. Do you know what the gospel means? Good news. It's like the guys who were putting this together were like so creative, right? They looked and said, I really don't know what to call this message. Let's just call it what it is. It's just good news. It's, it's the good story. That's what the gospel means. It's literally, we're just going to call it what it is. It's, it's the good story. And if your version of, of the gospel or of the good story isn't good news of great joy for all people everywhere, then maybe you don't have the right version. Maybe somewhere along the way, the version got a little twisted. Maybe got a little perverted because the original version, it was compelling. It was so compelling that it was worth telling. As a matter of fact, Luke talked about that. Luke, the gospel writer, said that many people were trying to put together this account of, of the life of Jesus, not because they were paid to do so, because they thought the story was so worth preserving and so worth telling, they wanted to document all the facts of his life. I mean, it was good news of great joy for all people everywhere. So then it leads us to this question, and it's the question we're going to wrestle with this morning. Then what happened? I mean, really, what happened to, to the good news, if we're being more specific. If it was so compelling that people were leaning in and, and they were kind of responding as we would to good news, they just hoped that it was true. I'm really not sure, but I really want to believe it is. What happened? Why are so many people leaning away? Why are people like that, that author leaning out and looking for exits and hoping for a way out? Why aren't we compelled to lean in and hope that it's true? I think I kind of know what happened, and the truth is it's really hard to hear. 
It's going to feel like finger pointing. I don't mean to point the fingers, but maybe the fingers need to be pointed. Here's what what I think happened. What happened to the good news? We happened. We happened. I mean, we've taken the good news and and we've kind of shifted it. I mean, really, when, when you think about it, I mean, it's kind of what we've done, right? At least in this country, we've Americanized the good news. The last two years, it's so painfully obvious. We politicized the good news. We, we absolutely, I don't think this is a real word, but we prosperitized the good news. We, we anti-intellectualized the good news. We even internalized the good news. And when I say internalized, it's, it's, it's not like you would think. It's, we, we shifted it to being about something you do to being about something you believe. And it became all about me. And when the good news becomes about me, it stops being good news. When the good news shifts and it's all about what I get out of it and and what's in it for me, it's no longer good news. Whatever version you might ascribe to, the finger's pointing at me because I could do this as well. But the minute minute it becomes about me, the minute I decide what's, what's best for me out of this, it becomes good news for me, but maybe perhaps not good news for everybody else. See, we reduced it to belief rather than a, a set of doing. Because when it came out, it was, it, we talk about this all the time here. And, and I'm sure you're sick of hearing this verse. But G- Jesus said, these are how you're going to know that you're my followers. By the way that you treat each other. By the way that you love each other. It's about what you do. Not about simply what you believe. We've kind of backed off and made it, well, it's just about my beliefs. I mean, if we're being really honest, we reduce it to uh, it's just what you believe, not what you do. We really reduce it to to simply being like fire insurance, right? I'm really, if we're being completely honest, and I'll be honest with you this morning. I know it's being recorded. I'll delete it later. When I made the decision, the first decision I made as a child, it wasn't because I loved God and I wanted to follow Jesus with all my heart. If I'm being honest, it was because there were some people painting some really awful pictures and images about what life could be like after this life, and I didn't want that. I mean, it was fear-based. It was just, I'll do anything to not experience that in this life or in the life to come. That's not good news. That's definitely not good news of great joy for all people, right? That, That was fear. That was persuasion. That can lead to manipulation. And that's not good news for anyone. You know what that's called? That's called pick and choose news. Where I get to pick and choose the news that I like that's good for me and good for my family. And I've shared this before. I can almost, you know, support any belief, support anything you want to do. I can pick and choose scriptures out of scripture. I had a conversation this morning with someone about that. You can just pick and choose pieces out of it. And it is scary what you can get people to believe or what I can believe for myself. That's called the pick and choose news. And, and when I pick and choose and it's good for me, or people I like and people like me, then most of the time it's also not good for another group of people. And the most extreme example of this, and, and I understand as I'm saying this, this is very extreme, but the most extreme example of this that I know of, and I, I think I may have sh- shared this with you before, I only heard about it a year ago, is something called the Slave Bible. You ever heard of the Slave Bible? The Slave Bible actually exists. And this isn't like a one-off, like some weirdo in the back room took the Bible and ripped out pages. and like, I'm going to make a Bible that's like really... No, this was actually published. In 1807, this was actually published, and it was published by a group in London called the Society of Conversion of Slaves in the British West Indies. It was a Bible that was published, and it was used to convert slaves to Christianity and to teach them how to read. 
But when you look through Scripture, Scripture doesn't support slavery. So they literally had to remove chunks of the gospel. They removed so many chapters. The Bible went from about 1,100 chapters to 300 chapters in the slave Bible. They had to remove almost the whole story of the Israelites being set free from captivity and pursuing the promised land. They had to leave out verses like this from the Apostle Paul that I think are so brilliant. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. See, the slave Bible, it was, it was good news for slave owners, but it was really bad news for slaves. And if your version of faith is good for you and, and, and for the people that you believe and you like, but it's not good for everyone, every person of every nation for all generations, then it's the perverted version. It's the wrong version. If your version isn't good for Jew and Gentile, if it isn't good for slave and free people, if it isn't good for men and women, if it isn't good for the unrighteous and the righteous, if it isn't good for you know, your father-in-law and your mother-in-law and your crazy cousin, Eddie, and, and you know, your weird uncle that's coming over for Christmas, if it isn't good for, for, for everyone, for your son and your daughter or your ex-wife and your ex-husband, if it isn't good for that guy you run into at work that you absolutely can't stand. We all have one of those, don't we? Now you're all wondering, who's that guy at the church? If it's, if it's that guy that you don't like at work or the woman you don't like at work or, or perhaps the neighbor that annoys you, if it's not good news for them like it's good news for you, it's not the original version. It's not good news. It's definitely not the original good news. So all of that leads us to this question. Okay, what about me? What about me? Am, am I good news? Am I bringing forth the good news? Which then leads us to an awkward question for all of you. What about you? Are you good news? See, Paul actually said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of personify this. I want you to characterize this. It needs to be who you are. He, he, that whole verse he just talked about in Galatians, he basically said this. Every person you ever meet everywhere, the original news was good news. And if your version isn't good for them, it's not the right version. Let's go back to that verse I just kind of quoted to you earlier. Jesus said, this is how the whole world will know that you're my disciple, that you're my follower. Do you say it's, it's how you believe? It's, you got to have correct belief. You got to study the theology and know the terms and, and, and go to seminary. It's how you treat each other. It's how you love one another. So if you're a Jesus follower, if you, if you claim to be a part of, of this thing that was called the way that we call Christianity or church, he said, that's, that's your responsibility. To love everyone. That is like the hallmark. It is the epicenter of Christianity. It is, it is the thing that, that was like kind of did away with the old and introduced the new. And that's why we talk about it all the time. That's what we're to be known for. And let's be honest. If that characterized every single person we met, every single Christian we met, every person in this building or watching online at every church everywhere, I mean, we could all agree. We're all smart enough to agree. That would change our nation. It would change communities. It would change the world if every person was characterized by that. This is how you'll know you're my follower. 
if you love each other. So what happened? Jesus, talking about the people who follow him, he's talking to, to an audience of, of people that, whose world is, is so small compared to ours. It's maybe 25 miles in either direction, just a, a very small kind of group of people. And he says to, to this first century audience, he says, you, but, but he's actually talking beyond his first century audience. He's actually talking to everyone, whoever reads he would say to you, to the first century audience, and then he's saying you, to, to, to me, Jim, and he's saying you, to you, to all of you, and to you who are watching online, to you who come after us in years and in generations to come, you, every person who follows after me, he says, you are the light of the world. And this first century audience are thinking, Jesus, really? Like, like, my, like that's, that's it? I'm, I'm the light of like my town or my community. And he said, but your world, it's so, it, it's so small to you. To us, the, the world is so much bigger. But in reality, our world is, is a lot smaller for us. He said, all of you who come after me, all of you who follow me, you are the light of the world. The, the whole world. Because this good news, this message uh, of what was happening in this little stable in a manger in Bethlehem, this message of the good news wasn't just for Bethlehem. It wasn't just for Judea or Samaria. It wasn't just for the Middle East. This message was for the whole world, everywhere, for every generation. You are the light of the world. The whole world. And when you begin to grasp that the message that we've carried should be good news for everyone everywhere, it causes us to live a little differently, doesn't it? He said, so let that light shine. Let it shine before others. Because it might be the only light they ever see. And when they begin to see that light kind of radiating through you, they're going to see something different. They're going to see... Not your correct belief, not how good you are at theology or the test you've taken to come to church. They're going to see your good deeds. And although it, 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 it's not your belief, it, it comes from this belief in, in what actually happened, that Jesus was born and he came to set us free from sin. He said, because of that belief, it's going to, to inspire these good works. And, and people who see your light everywhere, in the community, and at work, and across the world, they're going to begin to make this connection between your good deeds and this, this good Father in heaven. And they're going to begin to put the two together. So let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, that's, that's what we're supposed to do, to love people so well, because that's good news. And who doesn't want that? To let that love shine and let it shine in the whole world. Like, like, so it's like people see you and it's like the lights went on. God, something's different about you. You, you, don't, you don't see the world the way everyone else sees the world. and You begin to feel different. Like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't feel the same way I did before. I see people differently. I see the world differently. I see my neighbors differently. I see my enemies differently. I, I, I love all of them. He said, it's like the lights are going to go on. And they're going to make the connection between you and their father. And what you do, it magnifies. That's what it means to glorify. To magnify God. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to personify the good news. Paul taught us this. But the interesting thing about Paul, and we've talked so much about Paul, but when he will kind of introduce to the good news, he didn't see it as, as good news. I mean, to be honest, Paul saw the news that we were talking about as, as bad news. 
And here's the thing. It's because I think if he were here today, he would say, it's because I didn't know the whole thing. I, I didn't know the, the expanse of the good news. I just heard a piece of it. And Paul's this, this Pharisee, this guy who, who ascribes to the old way of things. And this, this news is about this new way. And he doesn't really sure he buys into it. So, so he kind of puts these walls up and, and Paul's this, this like activist guy. He's kind of a violent activist. And he's so set against this new news. Have you ever noticed this, that people who, whose like life and existence kind of rests on the old way succeeding, they don't really embrace the new way, do they? I mean, anybody who kind of benefits from this old way, they're not really excited about the new way that's coming because they don't benefit anymore. That was Paul. Then this new thing, it's not for me. My life, my riches, my, my popularity, everything about my life is built on this old way. This new thing I'm not so sure about. So he gets deputized to go out and just kind of eradicate this new thing, this Nazarene sect. That's what they called it, because Jesus was from Nazareth. This Nazarene sect, this thing called the way. He said, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to kind of make it, make it done, put it out of its way. I'm going to put it out of business. And Paul becomes this violent activist that begins to put this thing to rest. And then he runs headlong into the grace and mercy of a God he doesn't know. And his life changed forever. And as much as we talk about Paul, I don't want you to miss this part. He, he encounters Jesus, and he lays down his old ways. He lays down his violence. He lays down his hate. He lays down his bigotry. He lays down his racism. It's all laid down. But who he was didn't change. He's still an activist. He's still a missionary. He's still like type A, headstrong, I'm going to go. And now he just goes in a different direction. And he begins to teach the good news. And he begins to tell us things like, like how we have to love each other and live like Jesus loved. And imagine hearing that from the guy who arrested your dad and beat your dad or imprisoned your mom or you know, crucified your aunt. It's like, you? You're saying this? And he's like, I know. I, I didn't know the good news. The version I had wasn't the version I came to know. So Paul, after he travels around and kind of begins to teach the real good news, he writes a letter to some of these Christians who he introduced to the good news, these Christians in Philippi. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. He, he, he writes this, and as we're writing it, I don't want you to hear it just from the words of Jim or, or you know, Jim's just reading the Bible or he's just quoting Paul. I want you to hear it from a guy who didn't believe it and didn't want it to be true. And then he met the person responsible for the good news, and it changed his life. And then he went and he met Peter, who walked with Jesus. And James, the brother of Jesus, who knew Jesus. He met all the people who walked and talked and believed it. And from that experience, he begins to write this. And you've heard this before. If you grew up in church, I'm sure you've read this before. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me read it before because I, I think this is some of the most powerful scripture ever written. Paul says this. He writes, therefore, if, if you, and he's talking about Christians, if you who follow Jesus, who follow after me, continue to follow the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus, have any encouragement, if you have any good feelings from being united with Christ, from stepping out of this old way of living into this, this new covenant way of living, this new kingdom with, with its new rules, really just one rule, to love everybody so well, just like Jesus did. If you've done that, if you follow Jesus and you've experienced any encouragement, if there's any comfort in any of his love in this, if, if he can continue to go, if there's any kind of common sharing, if you're beginning to meet each other's needs in these, these small kind of ecclesias, these little churches, that, that, that church in, in Hamden, Maine, called Journey, 
If there's any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, if you've ever experienced any of that from your connection to following Jesus, he says, then here's what I want you to do. Would you do me a favor? Would you make my joy complete? How, Paul? By being like-minded and having the same love and being in spirit and of one mind. I want you to be in unity. And I want you to hear the good news. And I want you to allow the good news to change you. Not just what you believe, but what you do and who you are. I want it to come out of you in a way that it kind of overflows. And it's not just good for you, but it's good for everybody around you. I mean, just think of how that changes relationships, of how that would change your relationships. Think if every Christian was characterized by this. Paul says, it isn't for you alone, though. I want you, I want you to walk this out. And I, you might be thinking the same thing I think when I read this, but how? How exactly do I walk all of this out? He says, well, I'll tell you, but you're not going to like where I start. No, Paul, I, I really want to know. How do we do this? Okay, so step one, here's what I want you to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I mean, that just alone, it's like, wow. Imagine if everybody who said they loved and followed Jesus lived that way. Uh, that's absolutely amazing. That would change the way we live. It would change the way you grew up if everybody just lived that way. That's how we wish our dad lived. It's how we wish our mom lived and treated us. It's, maybe it's how your dad treated you, and it's the father you wish to be. Imagine if every Christian was characterized by this. Paul said, it's a big one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Like, I can't do anything for me, not to benefit you, because you're here to be a benefit to others. He said, rather, instead of doing this, here's what I want you to do. Rather, in humility, I want you to value others above yourself. Now, don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying they're more valuable than you. I'm saying I want you to treat people as though they're more valuable than you. That just sounds like, like stupid. Paul, why would I do that? Because that's exactly what God did for you. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's why the good news is good news. Because God valued you more than he valued himself. Did we have more value than God? No, of course not. But he valued you more than he valued him. So he sent his son into this world for you. That's what we ask. Is Christianity good? And all I keep coming back to is, is there anything better than that? Rather, in humility, value yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So, so you want me to be concerned about how others are doing and how others are living, how others are, are kind of surviving and going through? Paul, why would I do that? Because that's exactly what Christ did for you and for the world. And then he, when he left, he said, I want you to follow me and to love like I loved. I mean, take every relationship, take your, your, your friendships, your parents, how you parent, 
And imagine if everybody took their cues from Jesus. Imagine if we treated everybody like this. What you're concerned about is more than what I'm concerned about. We just defer. What do you need? How can I help? What do you need? How can I help? No, you go first. No, let me help. What, what, what can I do? If we're honest, it would change our families. And if every Christian lived this way, in every community, it would change communities and nations and the world. And here's the kicker. We know that because it already did it once before. Paul's not done. He keeps going. Now he's talking about Jesus. He says, who? Jesus was being in very nature God. Jesus was God. He was the Godman. He was this, this kind of weird mix of, of being human and divinity and God. Jesus, being in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I mean, that is just one of the most interesting scriptures. Jesus, who had authority of, of God, who had the power of God, who had all of this power and leverage, he didn't use the power and leverage that was at his disposal for his own advantage. He did something, as a matter of fact, completely different than any other leader and any other king and any other person who claimed to be God before him. He used all of his power and all of his influence, and he leveraged it for those who had no power and no influence. And he turned the world upside down. He was a king who came to die for his people, not a king who demanded that his subjects give his life and die for him. Is that good news? Is there any better news than that? He didn't consider everything that he was entitled to his godhood, his power, his authority, as something to be used to his own invention. Rather, he made himself nothing. God come to earth as a baby. He made himself nothing by taking the very form of a servant and being made in human likeness. I mean, these words we read through all the time are so incredibly powerful. The God of creation, the God of the cosmos, considered himself nothing. And he didn't just come to earth as like you and me. He came in the form of a servant or a slave. And he gave up all of his rights and all of his power. Why? Because he valued you more than he valued himself. And if the story isn't good enough there, if you couldn't just end on that kind of exclamation point of who Jesus is, Paul keeps going. And being found in appearance as a man, not as a God. As a matter of fact, Scripture talks about when you looked at Jesus, there was nothing significant about him. He wasn't overly tall or handsome or strong. He was just like a nobody. Do you ever feel like a nobody? Jesus knows. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death. And Paul says, Paul says this part. He kind of puts the exclamation point on it. Not just any death. A death that in this generation we will never be familiar with because we've never seen one. We've never smelled one. It wasn't art to them. This was real and it was torture and it was awful. He submitted himself even to death on a cross. Do you know what the point of a crucifixion was? Like, we talk about it, and you walk into churches, and there's big crosses with blood stains, and it's something we remember with, with fondness. The point of the crucifixion was complete and utter oblivion. 
That by the time they hung you on the cross after beating you and stripping you of your clothes and ripping your humanity and your dignity and any ounce of respect you had away from you, you would hang there ashamed so that your friends would deny ever knowing you. So that your family at this point would completely disown you. And then they would bury you where no one would ever find you. It's as if they erased you from history. Your existence, who was that guy? I don't even know. I didn't know him. You can't even find his grave. That was the point of a crucifixion. And Jesus said, I'll humble myself even to that. For you. For you. And for me. And for all people of every nation, of every generation, everywhere. Is Christianity good news? Guys, is, is there anything better? Than that. We don't follow a king who puts demands on us. We follow a king who humbled himself and everything was demanded of him. We're going to skip down to verse 12. Paul keeps going. He says, here's what you do. If you're following after Jesus, I want you, I want you to, to continue to follow after Jesus. He says, continue to work out your salvation. This, this moment where you decided to believe that not, yeah, it, it might be true. I'm not really sure about this whole Jesus thing and what you believe, but, but God, I hope it's true because the news is so amazing and it's so good. I want you to continue to live out your salvation. I, I want it to be like as if God was kind of squeezing every last ounce of love out of your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God, he continues, who works in you. Get this, to will and to act in order to fulfill his, and here's the word, good purpose. That when you follow God, God has a good purpose. And he said, good things will happen around you. See, but that's, that's not how we talk about our faith, is it? When we talk about our faith, we say things like this, don't we? We say, but good things should be happening to me. I mean, after all, I follow Jesus. I'm a good person. I volunteer, and I, I take care of some kids. And, and have you met those kids? Good things should be happening to me. Paul said, no, 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 no. That, that's, that was this old way. This new way, he said, because of you and your love and your light, he said, good things, they happen around you. Sometimes, he said, maybe even at the expense of you. But it's because you love and you value them above yourself. And you put their interests above your own. And if, if we're ascribing to a different set of beliefs than that, then perhaps our version of the news isn't the good news, the original news. Paul said, I, I want you to do everything. Everything. Not a few things, not just the things you do on Sunday morning. Not just like, you know, the act you, you, you put on in front of your kids. I want you to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Christian to Christian now. You're following Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Do everything you ever do without grumbling and arguing. So that you may become, and I love this, blameless and pure. Do you know what blameless means? It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean I never make a mistake because we all know it's impossible. I mean, Paul would say, I've made tons of mistakes. He even said, I continue to make mistakes. I continue to do things I don't want to do. 
So what do you mean by blameless and pure, Paul? Blameless simply means I've made a mistake, and before you come to me and hold me accountable to that mistake and blamely, I own it. Hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. That's what blameless is. It's literally going out and saying, it's my fault. And maybe that's the thing you need to hear this morning above everything else. We take responsibility and we own it. Yeah, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And somebody sees you do something wrong, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to let him have it. But they can't because you've already owned it. It's like, I can't hold you accountable. I can't get angry. You already apologized. Stop apologizing. Let me get angry. I said, no, I want you to be blameless. <clears throat> and I want you to apologize first. And then you'll be pure. Children of God, without fault, in a warped, in a crooked, in a perverted generation that took the good news and made it about them and what they get and what's in it for me. He said, that's not what I want for you. I want you to be children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then, here's the good part. He kind of dives back. Right? You remember the, the, the story of Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount? He kind of dives back into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to pull the, the similar words and similar imagery out. He says, then, you who follow Jesus, you who, who are loving people as Jesus loved us above ourselves, valuing them as more than us, putting their interests above our own, not arguing, not, not fighting, being blameless, being quick to forgive. He says, then, you will shine in the world, the whole world, like stars in the sky. And people will look to you and you will be radiating something that they are unfamiliar with, but it is so magnificent. You'll be marked by your selflessness. That stands in stark contrast to all the selfishness of the world. How does good news behave? Like that. What happened to the good news? Maybe it was us. But if we're hearing this this morning, I think God and Jesus and, and, and Paul through the ages are offering another opportunity. Don't be like that. Be the good news. So this holiday season, we've got a week until Christmas. Some of you have family coming over that you're not really excited about. You know, you know the kind of people I'm talking about? You send invites and you hope they say no. And for years and years and years, they said no. But this year, they said yes. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I hope they don't stay long, but they're going to show up and just be just like Cousin Eddie. You know, we're going to leave here in a month. And like, I, I, can't, I don't know if I can deal with that. Here's four suggestions. Four suggestions to apply through this holiday season. But if, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. If you practice this for a week and it's good, would you continue to practice it? Because my guess is, it's, it's humbling, and it's difficult, but the results outweigh the cost every single time. Here's the first one. And these are all pulled right from Scripture. I already hit on most of them. Apologize immediately. I mean, when you do, don't we teach this to our kids? But it's like we grew up, and it's almost like it doesn't apply to us anymore, right? Apologize immediately. Men, and let me speak to the men, because believe it or not, I was a man much longer than I've been a pastor. <clears throat> And, and women, this can apply to you, but I just know from men. This is what we do when we make a mistake. We kind of walk around and we have these conversations in our head and we just kind of justify everything, don't we? 
well, they, you know, they deserved it and they made a mistake and I wouldn't have done it if they didn't do this. And you just have this, this kind of internal dialogue where it's like, we just want to justify what we believe because apologizing is like the hardest, most uncomfortable thing to do. Get over and apologize because here's what, what I know. Eventually you get there. Sometimes it takes weeks and it's uncomfortable conversation and you're sitting at the table and you don't want to make eye contact and everybody kind of is wondering what's wrong and your kids are walking on eggshells. It's because of this internal dialogue, this, this fight that you're having on the inside. Just get over it and apologize. And you're blameless and you're pure. Apologize immediately. It's what we want people to do to us. So let's do it for them. Number two, forgive quickly. And this is so hard for people. And in particular, I see this so much in churches. We are like the best grudge holders. We are the best at being bitter. Have you noticed that? We just hold on and we hold on for dear life. He said, no, forgive. Because you've been forgiven. As a Jesus follower, and this is going to be harder, maybe worse than this thing, that we're what happened to the good news. You have no right to hold on to bitterness. You have no right to keep holding on to that anger. Let it go and forgive. I'm not saying be stupid. Don't put yourself in the situation where you're going to be hurt again. But forgive. And forgive quickly. Because that's exactly what your Savior offered you. Here's, here's another one. Defer habitually. We don't use this word often. But it's what we teach our kids. It simply means, okay, no, I'm going to hold the door. You go first. Oh, the seats are all taken. I'll let you take my seat. And what's really interesting, and I, I, can't, I don't know why we do this as, as adults, we teach this to our children, and then we become adult, and it's like, you do this for me, but I don't have to. I'm an adult. You ever notice why we do that? I was at the dinner last night with my kids, and I told them no soda, but you know what I got? A soda. It's like, well, I'm an adult. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to apologize. Forgiveness, that's for kids. Deferring, no, you defer to me now. You hold the door, so I walk through. I'm the adult. Just defer and continue to defer. No, you go first. I'm here to serve you because that's what Jesus did for us. He literally, God, came to earth and said, I'm here to serve you. You go first. You tread on me. You do whatever you need. I'm here to serve you. And finally, the last one, give sacrificially. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. We're just learning to become like our Father in heaven. And through our good deeds... We will shine like a star in the sky and the world will take notice and they'll look and they'll want to know, why are you so different? It's not just because about what I believe, but it's because what I do with what I believe. And the world will never be the same. You see, when the news, this good news, when the news is more about a who than a what, sorry, a what than a who, it is no longer good news. When the news becomes much more about a what or a belief or political persuasion or where we stand on certain issues, when the good news becomes more about a what, then, and I should even change this to the who, it's no longer good news. It might be good news for you, but it's absolutely not the original version. That is good news of great joy for all people everywhere. So here's the final question. Are you good news? 
mean, if you were to take a moment right now and actually think about that, am, am I good news? And not just to the people that I like and the people that like me, but am I good news to all people of every generation everywhere? Am I good news to my whole world? See, if the life and the teaching of Jesus doesn't strike you as good news, then maybe it's because the church hasn't been good news for you. And if that's the case, I can't speak for every church. I can only speak for me and and for this church. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that somebody hurt you and offended you and twisted and perverted the good news to be good for them and not good for you. And what you believe and maybe why you, perhaps why you've checked out, you have every right to feel that way. But for, for a moment, I just want to remind you one more time of why this good news is so good. When the message of Jesus was first brought out to the entire world, it started this way in Luke. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I told you, good news that will cause great joy for all people. Don't be afraid. Don't worry so much about what happened and let it keep you from what could happen. If you simply believe this good news, actually good. Today, said in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. Is the message of Christianity true? It's a conversation for another time, but I believe it is. It's the message of Christianity good? Because I don't think there's anything better than that that God loved you so much that he valued you more than himself and he humbled himself and came to earth and died to set you free from the thing that bound you. That is good news of great joy for the whole world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you God, for this Christmas season, I thank you once again for for that incredible passage in Philippians that Paul wrote. God, to remind everybody who would ever read what you did for us. And not just what you did for us, God, but how you want us to live because of that. To love like you and to be like you, to value others more than ourselves. God, to begin to see the world differently than how we saw it before. I pray that you would help us to see the world, Lord, the way you do so that we could respond and love the world the way you did. Would you give us the wisdom to see that? And would you give us the courage to begin to love people that way? In Jesus' name, amen.